The Metropolitan Opera Guild is the premier arts education organization dedicated to enriching the lives of children and adults through the magic and artistry of opera. To learn more about the Guild's many exciting programs and events, please visit metguild.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, episode 7. I'm Naomi Baratera, your host, and thank you for taking the time to listen today. The goal of our podcast is to help our listeners expand their opera knowledge, and our content is always drawn from live events, classes, and lectures that we run throughout the opera season here at Lincoln Center in New York City. Today's episode draws once more from the archives of the Met Opera Guild's Talking About Opera series. This particular episode features Bridget Paolucci detailing the musical and dramatic beauty of Puccini's La Boheme. At the time of this recording, in 1991, Bridget was a frequent lecturer at the Met Opera Guild, New York City Opera, and regularly appeared on the Met's radio broadcasts. Though she no longer lectures with the Guild, we are happy to bring you Bridget's take on one of Puccini's most popular works, La Boheme. In July 1894, Puccini wrote a letter in which he described his style as poetry and again poetry, tenderness mixed with pain, sensuality, a drama surprising and burning, and a rocketing finale. The opera Puccini was working on when he wrote these words was La Boheme. The premiere of La Boheme took place in the city of Turin on February 1, 1896. Puccini was then 37 years old. His first successful opera, Manon Lescaut, had premiered there exactly three years earlier. The story of La Boheme is based on a novel and play by the French author Henri Murger, entitled, respectively, Scène de la vie de Boheme, Scenes of Bohemian Life, and La vie de Boheme. Both works consist of episodes in the lives of so-called bohemians, the carefree, creative, poor young people of Paris. Murger's story appealed to Puccini, not only because it included a piccola donna, a little woman, one of those loving, vulnerable heroines favored by the composer, but also because it was about youth, and Puccini loved youth, his own in particular. Many of the bohemians' experiences paralleled Puccini's. For instance, during his student days, his supper one evening consisted of a single herring, shared with three friends, a meal identical to that of the four bohemians in the last act. In that same act, Colline pawns his coat to help the dying Mimi. The young Puccini also pawned his coat and suffered the winter cold, but he did so in order to take a ballerina up to dinner. Puccini's decision to write La Boheme led to a famous confrontation with Ruggero Leoncavallo, the composer and librettist of Pagliacci. According to Leoncavallo, he wrote a libretto based on the Murger novel, presented it to Puccini, and Puccini wasn't interested in it. So Leoncavallo decided to write an opera based on his own libretto. In March 1893, Puccini happened to meet Leoncavallo at a cafe in Milan. He told him that he was working on La Boheme. Leon Cavallo was furious, and a shouting match ensued. Each composer issued a statement to the press about his bohème, with Puccini saying, Let him compose, I will compose, the public will judge. According to Mosco Carner, author of Puccini, A Critical Biography, perhaps Luigi Illica first suggested the Murger story to Puccini. 
Ilica and Giuseppe Giacosa, both highly respected writers, had been hired to complete the Manon Lesco libretto when the original writers ran into difficulty. The Ilica Giacosa team went on to write the Bohème libretto for Puccini. Ilica was well versed in French literature, so it's entirely possible that he did suggest the subject to the composer. In any case, Puccini claimed to remember nothing about Leon Cavallo's offer, but then he was totally immersed in the problems of completing Manon Lescaut at that time. Leon Cavallo's La Boheme, which premiered a year after Puccini's, is a beautiful opera, often somber, full of passionate melodies. But Puccini's Boheme is that rarity, a perfect work of art, a masterpiece. Audience response at the world premiere in Turin was enthusiastic, but almost all the critics were downright hostile. One called the opera a failure. Another declared that Puccini had shown a deplorable decline. Yet another critic claimed that Puccini had written music which can delight but rarely move, concluding that it will leave no great imprint on the history of our lyric theater. In response to audience demand, however, over the next two months, La Boheme was performed 24 times to sold-out houses. The opera then opened in Rome, where critical response was generally better. Puccini made some minor changes in the score, and finally, on April 13th, La Boheme opened in Palermo, where it had an enormous success, both with critics and with the wildly enthusiastic audience. There are several reasons why Boheme was not an immediate success. First, the quality of the singers was variable, although, according to Puccini, the orchestra and the conductor, Arturo Toscanini, were excellent. Then, the audience was expecting an opera like Manon Lescaut. Bohème is very different. Manon Lescaut is sprawling and intensely passionate. Bohème is terse and understated. The scale of Bohème must have seemed small to audiences in Turin, not only vis-à-vis -vis Manon Lescaut, but also in comparison to the opera Toscanini had presented there just six weeks earlier, Wagner's Goethe-Dammerung, in its first performance by an Italian company. The realism and intimacy of Bohème and the naturalistic vocal lines are not what the audience anticipated. What they heard was a highly original work. La Boheme embodies the first full expression of Puccini's unique style. That style would develop and expand, of course, but its essence is crystallized in Boheme. The opera is tightly constructed, nothing is superfluous, nothing overblown. Puccini understood the power of melody, beautiful melody, that expresses the deepest emotions, that lifts and moves an audience. Combined with this melodic gift is his ability to render everyday conversation into musical form. Over and over again in Bohème, the orchestra carries the tune while the singers sing above it in supple conversational vocal lines that burst into melody as the text requires it. Puccini's orchestra is eloquent, commenting on the action, elucidating the inner lives of the characters. The music is based on themes, those fragments of melody that identify a particular character, emotion, symbol, or event. Puccini weaves themes together in a seamless tapestry of sound. The themes in Bohème are not developed symphonically. Rather, they're played by various instruments at different pitches with varying dynamics, in keeping with their significance at that particular moment in the drama. The score is filled with intricate details, each with its own meaning. 
as you'll hear, many of those orchestral details are graphic. In other words, the composer translates what's essentially visual, such as a particular action or place, into sound. Despite numerous orchestral details, the music flows with great flexibility. And when it doesn't flow, there's a specific dramatic reason why. Puccini's characters are depicted with enormous sensitivity and economy. The composer often captures their essence in a single phrase or in the sound of a particular instrument. And he understands the little things that make up a human life. As Puccini himself said in the letter I quoted earlier, his style is basically poetic. He wrote music that's warm, succinct, imaginative, expressive, lyrical, and intensely personal, as befits a poet. He knew how to evoke mood, how to imbue a scene with atmosphere. And because he was also a superb man of the theater, he knew how to change that mood in an instant, creating dramatic tension. In the last act of Bohème, for instance, we'll hear the abrupt contrast between the horseplay of the Bohemians and Mimi's entrance, between the near silence following her death and the shattering finale. This is theater at its most powerful. Since the ending of Bohème is wrenching, I think most of us tend to regard this opera as a continual outpouring of emotion. Actually, it's taught, a model of restraint. Puccini has absolute control over the emotional climate, over the impact on the audience. When the curtain goes up on Act One, two of the Bohemians are in the garret, Rodolfo, who's a poet, and the painter Marcello. Colline, the philosopher of the group, arrives penniless. And finally, in comes Chonard, the musician. He has earned some money and brought firewood, cash, and provisions for everyone. The others attack the food, but Chonard stops them, insisting that on Christmas Eve they must all celebrate in style at the Café Momus. As they prepare to leave for the Café Momus, Rodolfo tells his friends that he needs five minutes to finish an article. They agree to wait for him downstairs, urging him to hurry. After they leave, there's a knock at the door. It's Mimi, a young woman who lives in the same building. Her candle has gone out on her way up the stairs, and she asks Rodolfo to relight it. He invites her to come in for a moment. And in the way of opera, within 15 minutes, they're in love with one another. The brief orchestral introduction to the first act is based on music Puccini composed as a graduation exercise from the Milan Conservatory, his Capriccio Sinfonico, a light work for small orchestra. The first few notes of Act I introduce the theme that will be associated with the four Bohemians throughout the opera. The curtain rises immediately, and the first character to sing is Marcello, played in this recording by Rolando Panerai. Marcello grumbles about his painting of the Red Sea, saying that just looking at it makes him feel cold. As he complains, his vocal line descends. Music has shape, it has direction, and the downward motion of Marcello's vocal line indicates that he's disgruntled. After he speaks, the Bohemian's theme is heard again, a bit heavier than before, reflecting Marcello's state of mind. Now, the opening of Bohème. Listen to how exuberant the Bohemian's theme is here, how young it is. The La Scala Orchestra is conducted by Antonino Votto. <laughs> Thank you. 
questo marrosso mi ammollisce a Marcello asks Rodolfo what he's doing. Rodolfo says he's looking at the skies of Paris, gray with chimney smoke, and thinking about the useless stove that leads the lazy life of a gentleman. His vocal line moves upward, depicting a sunnier personality than Marcello's, and his lyrical way of describing something as mundane as a cold stove characterizes him as the quintessential poet. The first phrase Rodolfo sings, Ne Celi Bigi, will be used throughout the opera to identify the poet and his writings. Giuseppe Di Stefano is Rodolfo. Nei cieli vigi guardo fumar dai mille comignoli parigi e penso a quel poltrone vecchio caminetto ingannatore che vive in ozio come un gran signor. When Marcello tells Rodolfo he's freezing, the poet suggests burning the manuscript of his play. As he hands the manuscript to Marcello, you'll hear the poetry theme high in the flute and harp. When Marcello tells Rodolfo to light the fire, the orchestra describes the initial surge of the flame. Then Colline, sung by Nicola Zaccaria, enters. A strong, blustery passage in the horns quickly defines him as the most serious of the Bohemians. He is, after all, a philosopher. He joins the others as they try to warm their hands by the fire. The flames flicker in the orchestra, then die down until there is nothing left of the fire but a few glowing embers. The orchestral description of flames and embers is an example of Puccini's ability to translate visual details into sound. We begin now with the poetry theme, as Rodolfo hands his manuscript to Marcello. Notice how naturalistic their conversation is. I'll point out Colina's entrance, the gradual dying down of the fire, and finally the embers. Atelato primo, qua, straccia, accendi. E lieto Colina enters. The fire dies down. Only embers are left. Rodolfo sacrifices Act II of his play to the fire, but that also burns quickly and the others pretend to denounce the poet. Chonard enters. As depicted by Puccini, Chonard is the most ebullient of the four Bohemians. His theme is staccato, the notes detached, rather than legato, which literally means that the notes are tied together, and it's full of delight. Chonard tells his roommates that he was hired by an English nobleman to play for his parrot. The other Bohemians pay no attention at all to him. They pounce on the provisions he's brought, shouting, Lenya, Sigari, Bordeaux, firewood, cigars, Bordeaux. We begin as Chonard, sung by Manuel Spatafora, makes his entrance. <laughs> 
Figari, Bordo, Legna, Bordo! Le novizie d'una fiera indestinci destino The landlord Benoit arrives, and the short scene that follows is full of broad humor. The orchestra seems to scamper as the four roommates eventually get rid of him. Giddy with their victory and eager to be on their way, three of the four bohemians go downstairs to wait for Rodolfo. As we resume listening, you'll hear the music associated with work as the poet tries unsuccessfully to finish his article. The work music is typical of the first half of Act One, in that the woodwinds predominate and the melody is staccato, evoking a spirit of playfulness. But when a knock is heard at the door and Mimi enters, the mood changes instantly. The strings predominate, and the warm melody describing Mimi's luminous personality is legato. The texture of the orchestra is more translucent than before, allowing the voices to shine, bringing Rodolfo and Mimi sharply into focus. Mimi enters to the theme that will be identified with her throughout the opera, a beautiful theme, fragile, tinged with melancholy. When she begins to cough, the clarinet introduces the theme of her illness. Then she faints. Puccini pinpoints Rodolfo's reaction with great skill and economy. Two sustained notes in the oboe depict his puzzlement. Now what do I do? asks Rodolfo. He decides to sprinkle some water on Mimi's forehead an action described by two solo violins playing pizzicato. Then comes a brief scene that's a marvel of sensitivity. It depicts the awkwardness, the hesitation of two young people who are attracted to one another but have no idea what to say. Puccini describes that awkwardness by using the same musical figure five times, a little phrase that doesn't really go anywhere, just around in a circle. The figure is played for the first time as Mimi revives and Rodolfo asks if she feels better. The second time as he suggests that she sit near the fire. The figure is different the third time. It moves upward as he decides to offer her some wine. Mimi drinks the wine and says she has to leave. Again, that awkward figure is heard as Mimi asks him to light the candle. And once again, the same figure as they say good evening. Two young people going their separate ways simply because they don't know what to say to one another. All of their poignant self-consciousness captured with such sensitivity by Puccini. Then Mimi realizes that she has lost her key and the music becomes lyrical as emotions are released. There's no hesitation here. The sweeping melody in the orchestra and voice flows as she sings, Ventata, Sventata, I'm so unlucky, now I've lost my key. The emotional pitch of the music reveals that her dismay is about much more than losing a key. She has just met a handsome young man, she's just had a most awkward conversation with him, and now this. Rodolfo urges her to come in from the doorway, where the draft might extinguish the candle's flame. The warm, expansive melody they share contrasts sharply with the awkward scene that preceded it. We'll resume listening with Rodolfo's jaunty work music as the poet tries to write saying he's uninspired. Maria Callas is Mimi. Non sono in vena The mood changes completely as Mimi enters the room. 
The illness theme. Mimi faints. Rodolfo sprinkles water on her forehead. The five awkward figures begin here. Do you feel better? It's cold here. A little wine. Thanks, good evening. Good evening. Oh, I've lost my key. Mimi kneels on the floor to look for her key. Rodolfo kneels next to her, finds the key, pockets it, then touches Mimi's hand. The structure of the ensuing love scene is simple and straightforward. It consists of two arias and a duet. Rodolfo tells Mimi something about himself in his aria, then with no transition, Mimi tells him about herself in a second aria, and their voices come together in the love duet. The two narrative arias follow the same basic pattern. The vocal lines are conversational at first. Then they expand, peaking at a highly emotional moment of self-revelation. And finally, they resume a conversational tone at the end. Both arias are intimate and perceptive. They provide finely detailed portraits of Rodolfo and Mimi. And they also provide themes that will be used to great effect as the opera progresses. Rodolfo's aria is first. Che geli da manina, he sings. What a cold little hand. The music reflects his gentleness, his tenderness, as he takes her hand in his, and tells her they'll never find the key in the darkness. Al buio non si trova. Che geli da manina, se la lasci riscaldar, Rodolfo begins to tell Mimi about himself. Who am I? I'm a poet. What do I do? I write. And how do I live? I live. 
The music is assertive and self-confident here, revealing a passionate young man who's proud of his chosen profession. The theme of the poet is heard in the orchestra as Rodolfo tells Mimi that although he's poor, he has the soul of a millionaire. Then the vocal line soars as Rodolfo expresses his deepest feelings to Mimi. Talor dal mio forziere, he sings. Once in a while, my safe is robbed of all its jewels by a pair of beautiful eyes. It's his first expression of love for her. As we go through the opera, I'll refer to this radiant melody as the love theme. We resume listening to Rodolfo's aria with the assertive passage in which he tells Mimi that he's a poet. He's Sono un poeta, che cosa faccio? Scrivo, e come vivo, vivo. The theme of the poet. In povertà mia lieta, scialo da gran signore, prive d'inni d'amore, per sogni e per I have the soul of a millionaire, he says. The love theme. Aria follows immediately. During the course of her narration, she goes from describing her work as a seamstress to exulting in the life force itself. Her opening words are set to her theme, Mi chiamano Mimi, she sings. They call me Mimi. With touching simplicity, she tells Rodolfo that her real name is Lucia, that she's a seamstress who embroiders flowers, that she leads a happy, peaceful life. The music is tranquil, yet gently syncopated to denote her hesitation. The vocal line begins to move a bit more freely when Mimi tells Rodolfo that she likes enchanting things that speak of love and springtime, things known as poetry. By the way, when Mimi says the word primavera, springtime, you'll hear birds chirping in the orchestra.
and contented, she says. Listen to the birds. Here. She asks Rodolfo whether or not he understands. He answers yes, and she begins again. Mi chiamano mimi. This time she's a little more relaxed. Over a buoyant passage in the orchestra, she tells him that she has dinner alone, that she doesn't always go to church, but she prays a lot. Vivo sola, soletta. I live alone, all alone, she says. The orchestra drops out for those words. It seems that Mimi wants to be sure Rodolfo understands what she's saying. Then comes the emotional release, the peak of this aria. Mimi tells Rodolfo that she can see the rooftops and the sky from her room, that the first rays of the April sun are hers. On the surface, this seems to be a description of the view from her room and another poetic reference to springtime. But in reality, Mimi is speaking of spring as the symbol of life itself. Mimi suffers from consumption and winters are harsh for her. When she sings ecstatically that the first kiss of April is hers, that the first sunlight is hers, the music soars, gradually becoming higher and louder. It's a profound revelation of what's dearest to her, the chance to live for another few months. She pulls back and gently speaks of the joy she experiences watching a rose bloom, petal by petal. There are many references to flowers in Bohème, but the rose has special significance. Its theme becomes the symbol of Mimi's life. We resume listening as she says once again, Mi chiamo no Mimi. I live alone, all alone. But when the thaw comes, that first ray of sunlight is mine.
Here's the rose theme. Mimi says that unfortunately, the flowers she embroiders have no fragrance. She tells Rodolfo there's nothing else to say. She's just a neighbor who has come to bother him. As I mentioned earlier, Puccini had a sure sense of theater. To follow these lyrical arias immediately with a love duet would dilute the effect of the duet. The audience needs a respite from lyricism, yet the mood on stage must not be broken. Puccini gives us that respite by having Rodolfo's roommates call him from downstairs. If you'll remember, they were waiting for him to finish his article. When they shout his name, you'll hear the Bohemian's theme played very delicately. It provides space, a break from the lyricism, without intruding on the romantic mood. Rodolfo tells his friends he's not alone, and he'll join them later. He turns to Mimi and wonders at the loveliness of this young woman standing there in the moonlight. The orchestra recalls the love theme, this time as an accompaniment for the rapturous melody that opens the love duet. O soave fanciulla, says the poet, telling Mimi that she's the dream he wants to dream forever. Then their voices join in unison for the first time to the music of the love theme. As the duet begins, listen to the silken sheen of the orchestra. By the way, you'll hear Marcello in the distance shouting, Trovò la poesia! Rodolfo has found poetry. Rodolfo and Mimi decide to join the others at the Café Momus. They walk off together. The empty garret is flooded with moonlight, its shimmer described by the orchestra as the curtain slowly falls. Act two of La Boheme is set in a square in the Latin Quarter, just outside the popular Café Momus, a café that actually existed. It's a place brimming over with an air of celebration, a place crowded with townspeople, vendors, children, rather raucous on this Christmas Eve, a place vividly depicted in Puccini's music. The curtain goes up with the sound of a fanfare in the trumpets. (laughs) ¶¶ 
Rodolfo arrives with Mimi and introduces her to his friends. Then in comes Musetta, Marcello's former girlfriend. She's with her current lover, Alcindoro, a very wealthy, very old fellow. In fact, later in the scene, she refers to him as a mummy. Musetta spots Marcello and wants his attention. After several attempts fail, she screams that her shoe pinches. Alcindoro goes off to buy another pair for her. As Musetta and Marcello are reunited, a parade wends its way through the square. The waiter brings the check, but no one has any money left to pay it. Musetta tells the waiter to give both checks to her escort. As everyone joins in the parade, Alcindoro returns with the new shoes and pantomimes astonishment at the size of his bill. In the original libretto, Alcindoro had a few lines at the end of this act, but Puccini claimed that they left him cold and he insisted on a clamorous ending for this lively scene. Act two serves to cleanse the palate, so to speak, between act one, which ended with an extended lyrical scene, and act three, which is filled with poignancy. By deliberately lifting our spirits high in the second act, Puccini intensifies the impact of the act that follows. It was the composer's idea to save the character of Musetta for act two. Introducing her here gives the scene purpose and focus. Above all, this act allows Puccini to indulge in his love for youth, in his own playful nature. That spirit of playfulness was central to his personality. In fact, when he was in the process of writing La Boheme, he and his cronies bought an inn where they could drink wine, play cards, and talk. They called it the Club La Boheme. Among the rules of this club were these two. Silence is prohibited. Wisdom is not permitted except in special cases. Act two of La Boheme is brilliant, brilliant in sound and brilliant in terms of Puccini's musical skills. Several activities go on at the same time. Vendors hawk their wares. People complain about the noise. Children beg for sweets. Chonard buys a horn. Colina has his old coat mended. Marcello tries to pick up a girl or two. And Rodolfo buys a pink bonnet for Mimi. In a series of vignettes, Puccini shifts back and forth, quickly and subtly, from the leading characters to the crowds. In fact, the leading characters and the others in the square often sing simultaneously, yet the distinction between soloists and crowd is always clear. Listen to this segment of the opening scene, for instance. Vendors are selling sweets and flowers, Colline is looking at a rare book, Mimi tries on her new bonnet, and men in the cafe call out orders to the waiters. Rodolfo introduces Mimi to his friends, who are now seated at the Café Momus. The toy seller Patpignol arrives in the square. He's pursued by children and by their scolding mothers. In the original score, the Patpignol scene was followed by Musetta's entrance. Before the Palermo premiere, Puccini wrote to Ricordi that this act needed a bit of air. The librettist added a short segment in which Mimi shows her new bonnet to Rodolfo's friends. 
This provided the opportunity for a touch of lyricism, that bit of air Puccini wanted, between the bright Parpignol vignette and Musetta's lively entrance. When Mimi shows the bonnet to Rodolfo's roommates, they tease him. Then all four Bohemians join in a toast, when suddenly Marcello spots Musetta, arriving in style with Alcindoro. Puccini captures her personality in a few jaunty notes punctuated by a sassy orchestra. You can practically hear her hips wiggling as she makes her entrance. Musetta tries desperately to get Marcello's attention. First, she breaks a plate. When that doesn't work, she attracts everyone else's attention with her famous waltz, Quando men vo, wherever I go, people stop to look at me. As you listen to Musetta's waltz, notice the subtlety of the orchestra. Violins play the caressing melody sung by Musetta, as ripples in a solo flute and clarinet, plus languid phrases in the oboe, reflect the easy sensuality of this spirited young woman. Musetta gets rid of Alcindoro and falls into Marcello's arms, both of them happy to be together again. Drum rolls are heard from off stage. As the military band comes through the square, everyone joins in the parade for the clamorous finale of this colorful scene. of Puccini's Bohème takes place early on a winter morning two months later. The setting is a toll gate on the outskirts of Paris, outside a tavern where Marcello and Musetta have been living for a month. He has a job painting murals on the facade of the tavern, and Musetta teaches singing to patrons there. Mimi enters, looking for Marcello. She tells him that Rodolfo has been insanely jealous that he left her during the night. Marcello suggests that perhaps she and Rodolfo should no longer live together. He tells her that Rodolfo arrived at the tavern an hour ago and fell asleep. As they converse, Rodolfo awakens and looks for Marcello. Mimi hides. Rodolfo informs Marcello that he has decided to leave Mimi because she's such a flirt. When Marcello says he doesn't believe a word of it, Rodolfo admits he's right. Mimi is dying and I haven't the money to get proper care for her, he says. 
A coughing spell betrays Mimi's presence, and Rodolfo runs to help her. In the meantime, Marcello hears Musetta's laughter and hurries back to the tavern. He and Musetta shout insults at one another as Mimi and Rodolfo agree not to part until springtime. Puccini wanted this act to provide an opportunity for lyricism. In a letter to his publisher Ricordi, written in July 1894, the composer wrote that there was plenty of action in the other acts, but that in this one he wanted, in his words, a canvas that would allow me to spread myself a little more lyrically. That lyricism shines in the delicate scene painting, in the sheer abundance of melody throughout. The orchestral introduction to Act Three depicts a winter dawn. It's snowing. Hollow fifths in the flute and harps describe the cold and the somber atmosphere. The scene painting continues as sweepers come to the toll gate and awaken the dozing customs official. Peasant women greet one another on their way to market, and a bell is heard in the distance, along with the song of patrons who are still in the tavern at dawn. The pace is relaxed, the mood tranquil. The entire opening scene, with its details of everyday life, serves as a kind of prelude to the main action. Mimi enters, and the mood darkens at the sound of her theme, played very slowly. Breathlessly, she asks a servant girl to tell Marcello she's there. Marcello is surprised to see her and invites her into the tavern. When Mimi finds out that Rodolfo is there, she refuses to go in. She cries out for Marcello's help. Marcello, aiuto, aiuto. In a melody fraught with desperation, she tells him that Rodolfo loves her, and yet he's consumed by jealousy. We begin listening as she asks, C'è Rodolfo? Is Rodolfo here? Remember that phrase. As she tells Marcello that her every gesture, every glance arouses Rodolfo's suspicions, the orchestra repeats her yearning question over and over again, C'è Rodolfo? The orchestra makes it clear that Mimi is not merely asking where her lover is. She's asking what has happened to him, to the Rodolfo she knew. The repetition of this phrase intensifies the poignancy of Mimi's narrative. Sospetto, 
When Rodolfo awakens, Marcello escorts Mimi away from the tavern, but she returns and hides. Rodolfo tells Marcello that he's decided to leave Mimi because she's so flirtatious. When Marcello refuses to believe him, Rodolfo finally reveals his distress over Mimi's illness and his guilt over being unable to provide her with the care she needs. I can't hide my feelings, he says. I love Mimi. The orchestral flow is full and passionate, the vocal line expansive and beautiful. Suddenly, the flow of music stops. The accompaniment is reduced to one chord to a beat, as Rodolfo tells Marcello that Mimi is dying. The chords are heavy, not loud, but ponderous, particularly after the great thrust of melody that preceded them. This passage is devoid of melody, and Puccini marks it lento triste, very slow and sad. Rodolfo's desperation parallels that of Mimi, heard just a few minutes earlier. We resume listening right after Marcello has told Rodolfo that he doesn't believe him. Ebbene, no, non lo so. I love Mimi more than anything else in the world. Now one chord to a beat as he says Mimi is so sick. conversation between Rodolfo and Marcello becomes a trio as Mimi, overwhelmed by tears and racked by a coughing spell, leaves her hiding place. Rodolfo's conversation with Marcello has forced her to face the seriousness of her illness. In a brief passage charged with emotion, the lovers are reunited. But the mood changes abruptly at the sound of Musetta's laughter. She's obviously flirting with someone, as usual. Her laughter and the sound of her frivolous music truncate the outpouring of emotion here, just as Rodolfo's entrance interrupted Mimi's poignant scene with Marcello earlier. Marcello runs into the tavern, leaving the lovers alone. Then Mimi sings her second great aria, Don de Lieta. She tells Rodolfo that she must now return alone to the place she left at his call of love. The orchestra begins with her theme, then recalls the theme of illness, the vocal line verges on the strident as she relinquishes Rodolfo, saying, and now Mimi returns to her solitary nest, to her artificial flowers. She brings her emotions under control as the orchestra recalls the buoyant passage in her first aria in which she said that she had dinner alone and didn't always go to church. Then, tenderly, she bids Rodolfo farewell, without bitterness, addio, senza rancor. 
Again, high emotionalism followed by restraint, the pattern of this act. And now, Donde Lieta. Mimi tells Rodolfo to pack up her things, a gold ring and a prayer book, but to keep the little pink bonnet as a reminder of their love. The lovers sing a nostalgic duet saying farewell to what they've shared. The melody is new, and the memories they share are not the ones we have experienced with them. There's no sense of recall here. Puccini saves that for the last act. Here Rodolfo and Mimi say farewell to awakening together in the morning, to petty jealousies to dreams they've shared. Their duet becomes a quartet, or perhaps I should say it becomes two duets pitted against one another. Mimi and Rodolfo continue their limpid whisperings, while Marcello and Musetta, who have left the tavern, are literally shouting at one another. He accuses her of flirting. She says a gentleman was only asking her if she liked to dance. Musetta adds that she detests lovers who act like husbands, che la fanno da mariti. The nastiness of Musetta and Marcello counterbalance the poignancy of the Rodolfo Mimi duet. Musetta runs off screaming, you're nothing but a house painter. You're a snake, counters Marcello, returning to the tavern. Oblivious to them, Mimi and Rodolfo agree to stay together until spring, when the harsh winter is over, 
when parting will be easier. They embrace as the curtain falls. Shonar and Colline arrive, both of them penniless, with a single herring and some bread for supper. In the original libretto, there was an aria here for Shonar denouncing women, followed by a quartet in which the four Bohemians toasted one another with water, since nothing else was available. Puccini eventually deleted the aria, declaring it was a mere piece of padding. But he continued to struggle over the quartet, complaining to Ricordi that it would be the death of him. Three months before the premiere, the toast still plagued him. Finally, he dropped it and wrote to Ilika, the episode of the Bohemians altogether is there only for contrast, since if we wanted to, we could have Mimi appear as soon as the curtain rises and to hell with the herring. Puccini knew, of course, that the contrast between the horseplay and the death scene would make the latter that much more devastating. He created a broadly comical scene for the four friends, full of the vigor and the energy of youth. It lasts only a few minutes, yet it includes a mock banquet, dancing to a gavotte, a fandango, and a quadrille, each of which is short. In fact, the fandango is only four measures long, and a boisterous mock duel between Shonar and Colline. We resume listening as the orchestra describes the mock duel. The mood changes instantly when Musetta enters and says that Mimi is too weak to climb the stairs. Rodolfo rushes out to help her. In a passage of searing intensity, the violins in unison express Rodolfo's agony as he realizes that Mimi has returned to die. When Mimi enters, her theme sounds transformed, distorted. And as she speaks to Rodolfo, we hear the theme of illness, both in the orchestra and in her vocal line. Then Musetta begins to tell the others that she had heard that Mimi had left the nobleman she was living with and was dying. When Musetta located her, Mimi told her that she wanted to die near Rodolfo. As Musetta speaks, the orchestra recalls Mimi's first act aria, beginning with the theme of the rose. All of this is an enormous contrast, of course, to the horseplay that precedes Musetta's sudden appearance and the ensuing death scene. Listen to Rodolfo's agony in the strings. Mimi's theme distorted. The theme of her illness. Musetta tells about finding Mimi, 
From the time Mimi enters the garret to the end of the opera, the music is largely made up of excerpts from the first act, with the exception of the Sonoandati and Colline's aria. Recalling the music of a joyous past as Mimi is dying intensifies the grief that permeates this scene. Musetta and Marcello leave to contact a doctor and to buy a muff for Mimi. Colline prepares to go off and pawn his coat. Vecchia zimarra, he sings, old coat. You have housed the works of philosophers and poets. You've never bowed to the rich or the powerful. This brief aria is dry, sparing, melancholy. It's a respite from the intensity of the scene, and it counterbalances the ensuing duet between Rodolfo and Mimi, a duet drenched with pathos. Colline's aria ends as the philosopher says addio, the Italian word for a final farewell. The chords that follow his addio will be used again at the very end of the opera. We'll start in the middle of Colline's aria and go through to those closing chords. Colina tells Chonard that he too can do something for the lovers, namely leave them alone. Filosofo ragioni, says Chonard. Philosopher, you're right. After Colina and Chonard leave the room, the love theme shimmers in the orchestra as Mimi opens her eyes and the lovers embrace. We resume listening as Mimi speaks. Sono andati, fingevo di dormire. Have they left? I was only pretending to sleep because I wanted to be alone with you. As she sings, the music doesn't flow. The orchestra plays one chord to a beat, just as it did in Act Three when Rodolfo told Marcello that Mimi was dying. The chords and the descending nature of the melody convey the effort it takes for Mimi to speak. There's a gentle surge of energy in the vocal line, and the orchestra flows again as she says that she has only one thing to tell Rodolfo, something as great and profound as the sea. You're my love and my life, she says. Oh, Mimi, my beautiful Mimi, says Rodolfo. Mimi asks if she's still beautiful. Beautiful as the dawn, proclaims the poet. You've made a mistake. You meant the sunset, says Mimi forcing him, through a metaphor, to accept the inevitability of her death. As she corrects him, the one-to-a-beat chords resume. Thank you. 
music rises as she tells Rodolfo he's her love and her life. Still beautiful? Beautiful as the dawn. You meant the sunset. They begin to recall the evening they met, and their duet becomes a reminiscence of their love scene in Act One. Unlike the third act duet, which was set to a melody we had never heard before, and therefore could not identify with, this one enables the audience to recall a happier time, and the ensuing pathos is profound. For instance, when Rodolfo shows Mimi her little bonnet, the cuffietta, she asks if he remembers the first time she came into the room. The music is that of Svintata, Svintata, the melody she sang when she realized that she had lost her key. Tenderly, Mimi tells Rodolfo she knew that he had found the key. I was helping destiny, says Rodolfo. Mimi begins to recall the aria he sang to her then. Che geli da manina, she sings. According to Puccini's markings, she sings it very sweetly, dolcissimo, and as softly as possible. A violent coughing spell truncates her song, and Shonar rushes back into the room to help. Musetta and Marcello return with the muff. Mimi asks who bought it for her, and when Musetta tells her that Rodolfo did, Mimi thanks him, adding that it must have cost too much. Rodolfo is moved to tears. Mimi tells him there's no need to cry, reassuring him in a series of short phrases. Qui amor, sempre con te. Here, love, always with you. My hands, warm. To sleep, dormire, she says softly. As Mimi sings these breathless phrases, two muted solo violins play Rodolfo's aria, Kegeli da Manina, up to the phrase in which Rodolfo told Mimi that they would never find the key in the darkness. Al buio, in the darkness, non si trova. This is how that phrase sounded in the first act. Al buio, non si trova. In the death scene, the violins playing Rodolfo's aria stop at the first three notes of this phrase, the notes to which Rodolfo sang al buio, in the darkness. This image of darkness 
and the symbol of sleep, Mimi's last word, dormire, come together moments before her death. Silence, then an ominous chord. An eerie hush permeates the rest of the scene. Musetta begins to pray, and as she prays, the woodwinds quietly reiterate the theme of the rose as the lower strings repeat a terse figure over and over again. Chonard discovers that Mimi has died and whispers, Marcello, espirata. Just then, Colina returns and gives money to Musetta. As Rodolfo draws the curtains to shield Mimi's face from the sunlight, the theme of the rose is heard one last time, high in four muted violins, the symbol of Mimi's life, now barely audible. Colina asks Rodolfo how Mimi is doing. In an opera as lyrical as La Boheme, nothing could be as jarring, as dry as speech. And here, Rodolfo answers in speech rather than music. Vedi, e tranquilla, he says. You see, she's peaceful. Then he asks why everyone's looking at him that way, why they're pacing back and forth. Finally, Puccini permits a total release of emotions. Not surprisingly, he does this through poetic imagery, through the image of sleep. Three fierce brass chords shatter the hushed atmosphere. The orchestra marked tutta forza with full force recalls Mimi Sonandati as she said, fingevo di dormire, I was pretending to sleep. The harshness of the orchestral sound tells us that this is Mimi's final sleep, and Rodolfo cries out her name. As we resume listening, Mimi tells Rodolfo that she's going to sleep. On her last word, dormire, you'll hear two muted violins recall the words al buio from Rodolfo's aria, then the ominous chord, followed by Musetta's prayer. Chonard realizes Mimi has died. Marcello, espirato. Colline returns.
As I said earlier, La Boheme is a simple story about ordinary young people. During the course of the opera, we come to understand these people, to experience what they experience, to care about them through Puccini's music, music that's deeply sensitive and poetic, music that's devastating in its power to move us. Thank you so much for listening to Episode 7 of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please let us know by leaving a review in iTunes, where you can also subscribe to the podcast to make sure that you don't miss any new episodes. For more information about the Met Opera Guild, including info and tickets for our live events, please visit www.metguild.org. I'm Naomi Baratera, your host, and we'll be back with you next week.